So Hebrews chapter 12, we're going to begin in verse 12. It says, Therefore lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint but rather be healed. Strive for peace with everyone and for holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God and that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble. And by it, many become defiled. See to it that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected. For he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. For you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and tempest and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them. For they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touched the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion, and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to an innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. We'll stop there tonight and uh, we'll see how far we get, but... Uh, somebody give me a little context, and in order to do that, here's what I'd like to know. What do you think up to this point, if you could summarize this author's main reason for writing this letter, what is his number one concern for the people that he's writing to? There you go, So his number one concern from the very beginning of the book all the way through is don't quit. Don't go backwards. Don't give up on Jesus. Jesus is better than angels. Jesus is better than Aaron and the priesthood. Even better than Melchizedek. Uh, Jesus is better, is a better, um, uh, prophet and a better, um, um, deliverer of God's message than Moses. He has a better message than Moses. Uh, Everything up to this point has been speaking to the Jewish people to help them understand, listen, Jesus is the fulfillment of everything that you have been waiting on. Don't quit. Don't give up. Keep pursuing Jesus. Now, what is happening in their lives that might make them want to quit? Trials. Where do we see that at? How do you know that? Where can you find that at? All right, let's go back there and look at that. Show me what you're talking about, Tim. Read, read me where you're talking about that. Um... All right, keep reading. So there again, so you're exactly right. So what we're seeing here when we, and I'm just trying to build you a picture of the entire book of Hebrews so that you really get into context to understand 
what he means when he when he starts talking about these things, all right? And so what you saw in that is that they had some hard sufferings coming their way. And this author, whoever he is, is concerned that some of them are drifting backwards. They're saying, hey, we came to Christ and now all of a sudden, here we are. We're dealing with all these trials and all this suffering. And some of them were tempted to drift backwards. And that's the reason why he says to them in chapter 2, don't neglect this salvation. If you neglect this gospel message, there's no other hope for you. And then he says in chapter 3, he says, hey, don't quit. You have need of endurance because you have become partakers of Christ. If indeed you hold fast your confidence, steadfast to the end. So in other words, it's not about who, who just... Um, who just makes a profession of faith in Jesus, it's about who crosses the finish line believing in the promises of God. Correct? You have need of endurance. So with that said, look at chapter 12. Because in chapter 11, what does he do? What's he do in chapter 11? So he gives you, says, let me show you all kinds of examples of people that kept the faith. People that kept the faith, and even though they didn't see the reward or the promise right now, they knew it was coming. And they trusted that it was coming. And then whenever you get into chapter 12, He gives you a command. So in chapter 12, verse 1, He says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses... And who's the cloud of witnesses? Chapter 11 all the people that He's just told them about. So since we have all these witnesses, what does a witness do? Testifies to something, right? What are them people testifying to? A life of faith. That you need to, you can trust God and you should trust God all the way to the end. So since we're surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses, what's the command that we should do? Lay aside every weight that tends to burden you down to keep you from running your race. So again, here's the way chapter 12 starts out. This author is still, his main point of the entire book is don't quit. You have a race to run. And let me tell you something, we've already talked about it, but how many people have we seen quit? So would you say that there are many lessons that we can study in this book that will apply to us today? You better believe it. So he says, lay aside every weight. That's the first command. Since you have this cloud of witnesses, since you have the promises of God, lay aside the weight that, that tends to weigh you down from running your race. And then the next command, lay aside the sin which clings so closely, which easily surrounds you. Lay that aside. So in other words, you have choices to make. It's not just that all of a sudden you're a robot and God is just going to do everything in your life, is it? No, now just like you go back and you read in Hebrews 11, Moses refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter and instead suffer the reproach of, uh, of the Hebrew children, including himself with them. Um, so there again you see that when you go down through there, they had to make tough choices in order to run their race. And it's going to be no different with you. You're going to have to make a choice to lay aside weights. You're going to have to make a choice to lay aside sin. And how many of you know that's a daily battle? Right? 
but you have these sins and these weights that cling so closely and easily surround you. And every day you have to make the decision to run your race, to stay in the faith, to don't quit, to lay aside those weights, to lay aside those sins. And then in verse um, two, or yeah, in verse one, he finishes with the last command, and let, or not the last command, but the next command, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. We have a race to run, right? You have a race to run. And so you have to do this. You have to stay in the race. And the way we do that is verse 2. We look to the perfect example. So you got all these other witnesses, but were they perfect witnesses? Not by a long shot. But there is one that is the founder and the perfecter. You could also translate this word the pioneer. The one who literally paved the way. And so we look to Him, and He did it for the joy that was set before Him. And He endured the cross because of the joy. In other words, He didn't allow the suffering that He went through to stop Him. And then He despised the shame. In other words, He disregarded it. He set it aside. He didn't let the shame of all the things that He endured through the suffering stop Him from running his race. He started the race and he finished the race because he kept his focus on the joy that was set before him and now he has received his reward because he's seated at the right hand of God, at the right hand of the throne of God. So, verse 3, consider him. Consider his endurance. Consider the hostility that came against him. And if you do this, you won't grow weary. You won't grow faint-hearted. Because in verse 4, as Jeff so eloquently put last week, don't be a lightweight. You have not in your struggle against sin resisted to the point of shedding your blood. <laughs> you can do this. You can do this. Keep fighting. Keep going. And then finally, let's just uh, sum this up. What is 5 through um, verses 5 through, I think it's 9 maybe. Yeah, what does 5 through 9 tell us? What is the suffering for? What's, what's God doing? Huh? Okay. Spiritual discipline. That's what I'm looking for. Donnie's absolutely right. But what he's saying here is that God's disciplining you with children. And according to verse 10, what is this discipline doing for us? Huh? That's exactly right. That we may share in His holiness. So that's the first thing this discipline of suffering does for us. And according to verse 11, what's the next thing this discipline of, holy, of, the, of suffering does for us? Do what? That's exactly right. It yields righteousness. It yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. But does it do it to everybody? To who? So there again, it depends on what you do with the discipline of God. It depends on how you respond to that discipline. How many of you know that sometimes you whip your kids and it changes them? And sometimes you whip your kids and it don't. 
Some of it depends on how they respond to your discipline, correct? And so there again, we have to be trained by it. So whatever suffering God allows to come in your life, we have to let it train us. Let it bring up in our lives the things that don't belong. For Job, it was pride that he didn't even know was there. For Peter, it was pride that he didn't even know was there. Lord, even if everybody turns their back on You, I will never forsake You. Before the rooster crowed three times, what did he do? Denied, denied, denied. And so again, he learned and, and he was trained by it. And because of that, they became more holy and they yielded the peaceful fruit of righteousness that came by. So based on that, so here we go. Run your race. God is going to discipline you if you're His child. And if He don't discipline you, you're not a child. So run your race. Stay in it. Don't quit. Let the discipline train you. And then here's what you do. Verse 12. Remember, he's doing this race imagery, right? Run your race. What happens when you're about to quit a race? What happens to your hands? What happens to your knees? What happens to your legs? And so, this is what the next command is. Because you know this about God's discipline, here's a command for you to follow. Lift up. And this is something you have to do, right? You do this. Lift, if you're tired, anybody in here ever been tired? Oh, lightweight over here. (laughs) Lift up your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. So there again, he's saying, don't keep running this way. Don't keep going this way. Think about the discipline of God. Think about what you're going through. Think about the race that is set before you. Think about Jesus and what He endured for the joy that was set before Him. Think about all the witnesses in Hebrews 11 and all that they endured for the joy that set before them. And when you consider all of these witnesses, especially the perfect one, you ought to be strengthened. You ought to be able to lift your hands up. You ain't resisted sin to the point of shedding your blood yet. You ought to be able to strengthen your hands. And you ought to be able to strengthen your knees. And you ought to be able to get back in this race. And then he says in verse 14, the next command, strive for peace with everyone. Now again, what's happening to these people, Tim? What are they going through? What's happening to them? And people are coming in and plundering their property, right? Most believe that it was actually their own people doing this. Jews plundering Jews' property because of their faith in Christ. And so one of the things he says here is, strive for peace with everyone. Now does that mean that you're always going to have peace with everyone? No, but how did Paul put it about having peace with everyone? What did Paul say? As far as it concerns with you, as much as is possible with you, live peaceably with all men. So strive for peace with everyone. We're peaceful people. We're not warriors. You remember what Jesus said? Or we're not warriors in that sense. We're warriors against sin. But we're not warriors in this sense. And so you remember when um, 
I don't remember how the conversation went, but Pilate was talking to Jesus and Jesus said, he said, are you a king? He said, yeah, I'm a king, but my kingdom is not of this world because if my kingdom were of this world, what would my servants do? They would fight. But my kingdom is not of this world. And so how did he respond to those that mistreated him? Did he fight them? And so we strive with peace with everyone because we understand that God is using this for our holiness, that God is using this to train us in righteousness. We understand that we're running our race and that the world is going to hate us. If it hated the Master, what do you think it's going to do to the servants? Right? And so strive with peace with everyone and strive for holiness without which no one will see the Lord. What does that mean? That's right. Mm -hmm. If you're really running your race and you're really laying aside the weight and the sin, then you are following Christ. You're following the witness and the example that went before you. You're enduring suffering in order to lay all that aside. And that's the evidence of true salvation, right? And so here he says, strive for that holiness. He's not saying that you work for your salvation, but he is saying this, if you are saved, there ought to be a battle going on inside of you, right? There ought to be some striving that is taking place. And if there's no striving in your life against weights and sins to follow Christ, the truth of the matter is, you may not be in the race. That's that's the fact. So he says here, strive for holiness. Right? That's right. And if you're not striving for holiness, what witness do you have? That's right. That's right. That's right. That's right. But we are not of those who draw back. We are of those who, I can't remember how he said it, but preserve our souls unto faith, I believe is how he put it. All right. So keep going with me in verse 15. So here's what the next command is. And I want you to get to this command. Because that's what I want you to notice is that this has been encouragement. This is what God's doing. Run the race. Look to the examples. And then I want to encourage you because God is disciplining you, so let the discipline do its work. And then after He tells you that, He says, okay, now based on that knowledge, do this. Do this. Do this. Do this. Here's the next do that we are supposed to do. 15. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. How could you fail to obtain the grace of God? According to this context, according to everything you've just, you've just read, how could someone fail to obtain the grace of God? Proven that your faith was never genuine. Proven that you were of those that shrink back not those of faith. Go with me. Hold your place there and go back with me to Hebrews 10, verse um, 39. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. 
So in other words, if you have genuine faith, what's going to happen? You're going to persevere. You are going to finish the race. And if you shrink back, what does that prove? That's exactly right. That's exactly right. And so here he says very plainly, see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. One of the ways that you see to that is to try to do like this brother is doing and encouraging each other to stay in the race, right? Let me give you some scriptures to prove that to you. Hebrews chapter 3. Hebrews chapter 3 verse um, verse 12 and 12 through 14. That way you can see that everything I'm telling you is exactly what He's trying to get across to you. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But, here's the answer to try to keep from failing to obtain the grace of God. But, exhort one another. How often? Every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. How do you know you've come to share in Christ? Thank you. And if you don't hold your confidence to the end, what does that prove? Y'all see what the author is doing here? And so again, that's important. Now go with me to Hebrews chapter 10 to see that this is what he's doing all through here. Hebrews chapter 10 verse... um, verse 23 through 25, I think. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for He who promised is faithful... And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and to good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So in that verse, first off, how do we help people to not fail to obtain the grace of God? If you see somebody that's starting to quit the race... Or if you see somebody that, um, that is, is in some way drawing back away from God and, and an evil heart of unbelief and beginning to turn away from God, what is it that this says, here's what you can do to help that person get back in the race? That's right. Consider one another. How do you consider them? Consider what? Consider how to encourage them? Consider how to keep read the text. Tell me what the text says. Huh? To love and good works. So in other words, stir them back up to the walk of faith. And that walk of faith is a walk of love and a walk of good works. And you stir them back into that direction. But then notice, here is the first sign. And listen, this is a doozy. A lot of people don't like to hear this. But here is the first sign that you are actually beginning to quit the race and you don't even know it. And you try to prove me wrong, I'll wait on it. Verse 25, not neglecting to meet together. In other words, here's the one side of it. 
I want you to stay in the race. I want you to keep doing this. You've got to keep fighting. You've got to keep laying aside the weight. You've got to keep laying aside the sin. You've got to keep encouraging each other and exhorting each other. And even more as you see the day approaching and you do it every day. So that's the one side of it. And here's the other side. Neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but instead of doing that, encourage one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Do y'all see what I'm saying? One of the very first signs that you are falling away from the living God and you don't even know it is that you begin to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. In other words, the fellowship of believers, the body of Christ is not important to you anymore. Now, am I wrong? I'll wait. That's right. That's right. Because if I don't do that, you are that close to falling completely out and departing from a living God. And let me tell you why you don't want to do that. Go with me to Hebrews 10 verse um, verse 31. Why don't you want to do that? You don't want to turn away from a living God. It is a fearful thing. Fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. So again, y'all see what the author is doing. Don't quit. Stay in the race. And one of the ways that you stay in this race is don't neglect the meeting together where you encourage one another and where you, you learn more about Christ together and you're strengthened in your faith and you're strengthened in the promises of God and you grow in your understanding of who He is so that your worship grows even more. Y'all tracking with me? Now, I say that because again, today we're getting to the point to where He says, see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. So how do we do that? That's right. We have to be involved in each other's lives. We have to be, like Nathan said tonight in his prayer, family. Family. That we care for one another. That we, that we desire to see each other grow in their faith. That, they, that, that we want to see us as a church to get closer to one another and closer to God, that we want to grow in our love, that we want to grow in our good works. And the more we see that present in our life, it's not that love and good works are going to save you, but they are the evidence that there is salvation in your life. And so he says here, see to it. See to it. Wouldn't you say that's a command? Am I missing something here? See to it, guys. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. When he says no one fails, what, what's he talking about? That's right. So again, hold your place and go back to Hebrews 3 again with me. You can see that I know this is what he's trying to say. Hebrews 3 verse 12. What's the command here? Take heed. Be careful. Brothers, lest there be in who? 
any of you an evil, unbelieving heart. So is there anyone exempt from this? Am I exempt from this? No, I'm not. I wish I I could find where that statistic was. Anybody in here know the statistic on how many pastors quit each, each year? How many churches close every year? Turning against their faith. I don't believe anymore. Yeah. That's right. They quit. I wish I'd had the statistic on how many churches in America close every year. I promise you, it would blow your mind. You you would never believe it if I told you the statistic of how many churches close in America every year. When he says here, lest there be in any of you an, an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God, you better believe. What is it? 3,700 per year, right? Listen, did y'all hear that? In America, 3,700 churches every year close their doors. Don't that blow your mind? I mean, it's almost unbelievable, right? There's a part of you that goes, "Ah, I need to see something else because there's no way that's right. But guess what? It probably is. Quitting can happen to any of us. And we've seen it personally many, many times. And so the answer, exhort each other every day while it's called today. So see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. Another way you could fail in obtaining the grace of God, not striving for holiness, right? Because if you don't strive for holiness and there's no fight in you, the truth of the matter is you prove that you were never a partaker of Christ, right? So you fail to obtain the grace of God. Not setting aside the weight and the sin that so easily besets you, and instead, and you're going to see that here in a minute like Esau did, and instead trading your birthright or the promise of God for a single meal. And so he's going to tell you here in a minute to be careful that you don't fail to obtain the grace of God by being like Esau, because how many of you know it wasn't supposed to, or well, I say it wasn't supposed to be. In God's sovereignty, He knew what it was going to be. But as far as the lineage went, it wasn't supposed to be Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Who was it supposed to be? Abraham, Isaac, and Esau. That's who it was supposed to be. But that's not who it ended up being, was it? Alright, so we're going to see that here in a minute. But there's the command. See to it, guys, that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. How do you apply that tonight? How does that apply to you? What are you going to do with this? Remember, am I speak, is this my word that I'm speaking to you tonight? That's right. And it's living, right? The Word of God is living. The Word of God is active. The Word of God is powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. Y'all know how it goes. So the question is, what will you do with this Word tonight? Because let me tell you something. That's right. Wouldn't it be good if all of us went home tonight and said, how can I provoke others to love and good works? What would that actually look like? What, what would I actually do that 
would accomplish that person in that person? Well, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's right. That's right. That's right. Because as long as they continue to forsake and as long as they're not striving for holiness and as long as they're not laying aside the weights and the sins and they're not holding on to their original confidence steadfast to the end, what are they actually proving? Are they going to make it? No. And that's the fear of this writer of Hebrews. Do y'all hear the fear in him? This is the reason why He puts so many warnings through here. And this is why so many misinterpret to say, Hebrews is full of warnings that you can lose your salvation. No, it's not. No, it's not. There's not a single warning in there that you can lose your salvation if you truly have it. But there is fear in there that there are some people in the church that really don't have it. And they need to be encouraged and exhorted. And they need to eat. Because again, am I their judge? Do I know whether or not they're saved or not? Do you know whether or not I'm saved or not? No, you don't. But one thing I can do is I can try to provoke you in a way that leads you to live out the true salvation that is there. And if it is there, guess what? It'll come out. It'll come out. And so I provoke you to love and to good works so that it puts you back in the race. Right. Every Sunday. Or every maybe tonight. Mm-hmm. That's right. That's right. All right. So see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. And then here's the next command. So just add see to it to this. See to it that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. Do y'all see anything in that, that text when you read it that would lead you to anything else? What do you see? Look, look, now look closer. Look at the text. What do you see? Quotation. What does a quotation mark mean? It means he's pointing you back to something, right? Anybody have a reference Bible? Can you point me back to what he means when he says, see to it that no root of bitterness springs up? Deuteronomy 29 18. Go there. Hold your place. We're going to find out what he means when he says, see to it, that no root of bitterness springs up. This is important, because remember, this Wednesday night study is all about how do you study the Word of God, right? I want you to see... Because what I want you to do is get to a place where you see things like that so that you go back, you let Scripture interpret Scripture. Alright? 
So instead of me trying to come up with what I think He's saying, I let Him tell me from the Word of God, this is what I mean when I tell you this. So look at 29 verse 18. It says, Beware, lest there be among you a man or a woman or a clan or a tribe whose heart is turning away today from the Lord our God to go and serve the gods of those nations. Beware, lest there be among you a root bearing poisonous bitter fruit, one who says, one who when he hears the words of this sworn covenant, blesses himself in his heart saying, I shall be safe, though I walk in the stubbornness of my heart. This will lead to the sweeping away of the moist and the dry alike. What is the root of bitterness? What is the root of bitterness? Huh? Thinking you're saved, but in but what did he do? Look again at verse um, at at the end of or at the middle of verse eighteen. Beware, lest there be a man, woman, clan, or tribe who does what turns his heart away from God and does what. So again, we quit serving God. And we go back to serving what? The world. Because that's what those other gods represented. God of thunder, God of rain, God of fertility, God of gold, God of silver, God of war, God of... And so, here the root of bitterness is this. Be very careful and see to it that you don't let a root of bitterness spring up Because what it will do, go back to Hebrews chapter 12 again, the root of bitterness springs up, and what does that root of bitterness do? Causes trouble, and by that trouble, what happens? In other words, here's what's going to happen. If we allow a root of bitterness to spring up, somebody in our congregation that turns away from living God and walks away and goes back and serves them. Now, is there sometimes you can't do anything about that? But if we didn't do nothing to exhort, we didn't do nothing to provoke to love and good works, y'all see what I'm saying? If we didn't encourage to stay in the race, if we didn't come to them and say, hey, you're forsaking the fellowship, this is the first sign this is where you can begin to see that you are falling away from the living God and you don't even know it. You think you're fine. Remember that guy in Deuteronomy? He said in his heart, I'm good. I'm safe. But was he safe? No, he wasn't. And that was a root of bitterness. And that root of bitterness begins to spring up in your congregation. And you don't even know it, but it begins to spread and it causes trouble. And then, by it, how many become defiled? Many. Many become defiled. So we have to see to it that as much as possible, this does not happen with us. Are y'all getting this tonight? I mean, it's good stuff. Alright. Verse 16. Here's the next command. That no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. What is that talking about? 
What's he saying there? Remember, keep it in context. We're talking about falling away from the living God. We're talking about going back and serving the world, serving other gods and not staying in the race, not serving God. What is one thing that you'll see in someone's life if they're beginning to turn away from the promise of God? That's right. That's right. Same thing. Same thing. So in other words, he wasn't laying aside the sin that so easily entangled him, right? He wasn't laying aside the weight. He wasn't staying in the race. But instead, he was willing to trade the promise of God. Because at the end of the day, that was his inheritance. He didn't just trade his dad's money and his dad's land. He traded the promise of God, the messianic line. He traded that for what does it say here? One meal. <laughs> I'm just curious though, would there have been a soup good enough? <laughs> that's right. And that's the next point. What, what was the result of it for Esau? That's right. But did he feel sorry for it? says he cried, didn't it? I cried and cried. Now here's what I'd like to say about that. He probably wasn't crying because he lost the promise of God. He probably cried because he was mad at Jacob. What Jacob did to him. And so we don't see, I don't think you see godly sorrow here because I think if there had been godly sorrow, then there may have been chance of repentance because Paul said godly sorrow produces what? Repentance that leads to salvation, not to be regretted. And so there again, I think that what you see here is that he's saying that if you see someone in your congregation that is living for the flesh that the things of the flesh are more important to them than the things of God. And how many of you know that that's not hard to spot? Right. Right, he wasn't worried about the, the promise of uh, being the father of many nations and that through you all the nations of the world would be blessed. And that, That's right. It was fleshly. That's right. So, there, that, that, so there's, there's the point. You can look through here and say the commands are simply don't fail to obtain the grace of God. And when you start seeing somebody walk in that direction, don't let a root of bitterness spring up. And then don't let someone continue to walk in fornication and sexual immorality or flesh, or in other words, I love the flesh more than I love the things of God and the promises of God. That's more important to me. And let me tell you something, you'll see it. You'll see it. We've, we've all done it. At some point in our Christian life, I would say we've all done it. We've all put the things of the world as more important than the things of God. And that's very important when we start seeing those things to encourage, to exhort, to provoke, 
to not neglect meeting together because you're in a dangerous place. And it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. And then finally, verse 17, For you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected. For if he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. So we'll stop there this week. And um, what I want you to do is what he's fixing to do next. He's fixing to come in here and he's fixing to show you here is why you should be afraid of someone or yourself even turning away from the faith. He's going to say, I want you to consider those people that are trying to do good and those people that are trying to follow the law. Here's, they have no chance to come close to God. None whatsoever. But you've not come to that. You've come to Mount Zion. He's going to compare the two here in just a few minutes. So next week, we're going to, we're going to look at why we should be afraid of apostasy. Why we should be afraid of turning away from the living God. And especially afraid for, for, our, for any of our fellow brothers and sisters to turn away and to walk away from Him. Any questions tonight? How are you going to apply this? What are you going to do with it? Huh? That'd be a good start, wouldn't it? This is a tough lesson, but it's a good lesson. It's a good reminder. And I love to see what this author was doing. I mean, he had a real genuine concern for the salvation of the people that he's talking to. And I think that ought to be the same concern that you and I have for everybody that God puts in our lives. That we're not just okay with people just casually walking through their faith. Provoke them to love and to good works and provoke them to, to, to stay in the race and don't quit and don't neglect the, the assembling of ourselves together. And the truth of the matter is, i got many friends that used to be so close to me and walked this path with me. And now where are they? They've started neglecting the, the fellowship of uh, the neglecting the gathering of ourselves together. And if I'm interpreting this correctly, and I feel like I am, that is one sign that says you are turning away from God and you don't even know it. Now, if I've misinterpreted that, come to me afterwards and share it with me because I need to change it. But I don't think I've misinterpreted it. I believe I have seen exactly what this author meant and what the Word of God meant when he wrote this to us.